Welcome to the Ageless and Outrageous podcast. We are your hosts. I'm Dr. Kristen Jackson. And I'm Rosalyn Art. And we are so excited to start this podcast with you today. But what we're going to do in our introductory episode is something that we very rarely do, which is talk about ourselves. Our practice is focused on urogynecology, anti-aging and hormone medicine, sexual health medicine. So most of our day is spent focusing on our patients, which we love, and hearing how we can improve their quality of life. But in today's episode, we want to make sure that we introduced ourselves so you had a good idea who you were listening to. So Rosalind, let's start with you. Do you want to tell us a little bit about yourself? I'm Rosalind Arp. I'm a women's health nurse practitioner since 2015. Um, I was born in the Philippines and grew up in California. Um, I am married to, um, my wonderful husband, Michael, who's from Georgia. And, um, we have um, two little boys that are five and three, and we now live here in central Florida. How about you, Dr. Jackson? Well, I am Dr. Kristen Jackson, and I was born and raised in Philadelphia area. My entire family still lives there. In fact, they all live within a 10-minute radius of each other. So I am one of the few family members who has broken out of that circle. And in 2003, I moved to Central Florida with my amazing husband, who I met in college. So we've been together forever. I also have two children, a son and a daughter. They are both grown. Neither one of them is going to follow into my footsteps as a physician. My son is interested in film editing, so he's the creative child. And my daughter has just started in pharmacy graduate school. So how did you um, decide to become a urogynecologist, Dr. Jackson? So my background is actually in obstetrics and gynecology. So you do four years of medical school, and then you decide what area you'd like to do your residency in. And I chose OBGYN, which is a four-year residency. And I loved women's health. And my goal upon graduating was really to become a general OBGYN. But I still remember shortly before I finished my residency, I spoke with my residency director. He had an exit interview with each of the seniors. And he asked me to give an evaluation of my residency, what was good and what was lacking. And I even remember then I said to him, I really don't feel like we had a lot of training in female incontinence and the pelvic floor. In fact, at that time, urogynecology wasn't even a field. It wasn't a board-recognized um, special subspecialty, and there was no formal training for it. And my residency director said, don't worry about that. You're not going to do that. Just go out into the world, get your job, and get your experience. Um, so I did, and I loved my patients that I took care of, but I could still see that I had this lack of knowledge. So I ended up having to do additional urogyne training on my own. And finally, in 2013 is the first year that you were able to sit for the board exam for urogynecology. So after passing that exam in 2013, that's where I got my double board certification. I know recently there was an announcement that this specialty actually is going to change their name as well, right? There is. So even though most people refer to me as a urogynecologist, our official title is an FPMRS surgeon, a female pelvic medicine and reconstructive surgeon. But that's a big mouthful, and I'm never referred to as an FPMRS physician except if I'm in an academic setting. But because that's a little bit confusing for patients, just recently they announced that the specialty is going to be changing its name to URPS, urogynecology 
and reconstructive pelvic surgery. So they're just trying to be a little more focused and clear on what urogynecologists do so that patients can understand it a little bit better. So for physicians who want to get the um, subspecialty certification, um, do they only come from the OBGYN field? So they can actually come from either OBGYN or urology as a background. Whereas someone like me, when I was getting my subspecialty certification, you just had to show your experience, sit for your exam, and you would have your certification. But now there's actually a formal fellowship for urogynecology. So in order to join the fellowship, you first have to do your residency training in either OBGYN or urology, and then you can decide to do additional subspecialty training just in the female pelvic floor and in female incontinence. So it's interesting if you are seeing a urogynecologist, you should ask them whether their background is in OBGYN like me or your ba- their background is in urology. There are other types of um, subspecialty within OBGYN as well, correct? Yes, there's actually four subspecialty areas of OBGYN. Initially, the training is four years of residency for general OBGYN. And then if you choose to do so, you can go on to subspecialize in urogynecology, which, as I mentioned, is an additional three-year fellowship. Or you can choose to do MFM, maternal fetal medicine, that practice focuses exclusively on high-risk obstetrics. You can do REI, reproductive endocrinology and infertility. Those are your fertility specialists, and some of them also focus on GYN conditions that can impact fertility, like endometriosis and fibroids. And finally, you can go into gynecologic oncology, and that area takes care of all female cancers, cancer of the uterus, the ovary, the vagina, things like that. All of those subspecialties are an additional three to four years of fellowship. So when you're seeing a subspecialist, you're usually looking at someone who at minimum has had seven years of training just in that area of expertise. So going back, why did you decide to be an OBGYN and and get into the women's health field? When I started medical school, I really had no idea where I wanted to end up. I knew I just loved medicine in general. Uh, And the way medical school is structured is that the first two years are didactic. So you're mostly in the classroom and in the labs and things like that. But the second two years are clinical. So you're out with preceptors uh, meeting patients. In the first time you go out into your preceptor year, you have some time in OBGYN and some time in family medicine and some time in general surgery, all the different areas of medicine. And when I did my OBGYN rotation, it really was just love at first sight. I just knew really from day one that this was my calling. The very first day of my third year OBGYN rotation, I had to be on overnight call and we were delivering babies and up all night. And in the middle of the night, we were doing a C-section with the attending physician, the resident physician, and me as the student. And the attending physician kicked the resident out and said, you can finish the surgery to me. And I was shocked, but thrilled. (laughs) And under his guidance, I was able, after the baby was delivered, I finished the entire surgery. And after that, I was completely hooked. I knew I wanted to be a surgeon. I knew I wanted to be involved in women's health. Um, So that's how I got into OBGYN to begin with. But I was always very passionate about pelvic floor anatomy and vaginal anatomy. I knew that was going to be 
where I ended up. In fact, in my fourth year of medical school, I did a specific anatomy rotation on the pelvic floor and uh, vaginal anatomy. So when you normally do your gross anatomy, you get an entire cadaver and you dissect it from head to toe. So you want to learn where all the gross organs are and where all the blood vessels go and the nerves go and the muscles and the ligaments. But for this rotation, all you got was a torso. So it was a cadaver that was cut off above the belly button and cut off at the mid thigh. And our goal was to dissect the vagina through all the different layers so we could really learn how a gynecologist sees that vaginal anatomy. And now my area of expertise and passion is vaginal reconstructive surgery. So even I guess in fourth year medical school, I kind of knew this was this was my path. Mm-hmm. So Rosalind, tell us a little about you. You actually started your career in nursing. Yes, I did. I was in um, undergrad doing my undergrad degree, thinking I'm going to go into medicine and decide not to and want to become a nurse practitioner instead. Um, And I trained as a nurse um, at first and wanted to be in pediatrics originally. But as you know, like same thing with the rotations, we had different rotations as well. Um, And one of the main rotations was pediatrics. And the first time I was there, I kind of that was the new I knew right away I did not want to be in pediatrics. Um, A lot of it has to do with dealing with the parents mostly um, and mostly the hospital we were in, there was a lot of abuse cases. So I was just like, I am, this is, I'm too sensitive to be in in this field. (laughs) Um, And then I did um, a rotation in OBGYN, like the labor and delivery floor and saw my first delivery and just fell in love with the, the field itself. And once I graduated, I wanted to be get experience in women's health and and work in labor and delivery, but it's one of the toughest area in the hospital to get into. As most nurses know, the nurses there are really hardcore (laughs) for good reasons, because things can happen quickly. And I was actually in renal medicine, which is a lot of the dialysis patients and diabetic patients. Interesting enough. I always felt like that was like the boot camp for me in the sense of like learning everything medicine, um, because they're very complicated patients, but also found out easily that even though we're saving lives, I did not like that part of the medicine. I wanted to be more in like helping women in their quality life. At the same time, I was actually volunteering in um, a women's clinic to just to get more um, experience. And a women's health nurse practitioner there who um, graduated from Vanderbilt told me like, oh, you should apply there. They have a great program. And I did kind of last minute and um, got in and finished my um, degree there and my preceptor ended up being the medical director of the women's clinic that I was volunteering in. And he was a urogynecologist and he introduced me to the field of urogynecology. Um, and I fell in love with it because of the patient population. Most of the women um, that we cared for were outside of the OB field. And really there's not enough providers helping these type of women. Um, and that's what I've noticed within all of the rotations we were, we were talking, we were doing. Um, I did a rotation OB as well, but yeah, I just knew as a provider, I wanted to focus more in the urogynecology aspect. So um, a lot of the time, most OBGYNs that I've seen are women's health practitioners or providers. They really focus on OB a lot. And in the women's lifespan, it's like the shortest time that you are in obstetrics and you're more in gynecology. And I think there was a need for that area. Um, So when I graduated and moved to Florida, my goal was to find a workplace, you know, the story (laughs) to find a workplace that has one provider or one physician who is uh, private practice because I didn't want to work for a hospital. 
that would help or that would teach me. So I was very, very lucky to work with you since you are actually a, an amazing um, teacher as well, besides being a provider. Yes, education definitely is my other passion as well. I love educating my patients and mentoring all the providers that we have in our office, but I also teach at the Florida State University College of Medicine. So I see all of the third-year medical students who are going through their training, as well as mentor the fourth-year medical students who are going to be entering OBGYN as a career. So I think that culture of education is definitely strong in our practice, and I love that. I agree. Yeah. As a nurse, um, that was my biggest um, passion to was teaching nursing students that came through. And then I was also part of the FSU um, when we were doing gynecology. And I think it's such an important part of medicine is to be able to, to teach well, because a lot of what we do is patient education and knowing how to educate patients with their condition in the term that they would understand is really important and giving the best care. Absolutely. And we have to make sure there's great providers out there for when we get older and need this yeah. type of care. <laughs> I want to yes. make sure we have good surgeons coming coming down the pipeline. Mm-hmm. When I first moved to Central Florida in 2003, I actually had joined a hospital-owned practice that did both OB and GYN. And we did a lot of high-risk OB, which I loved, and I love being in that high-risk environment. Um, but in 2012, I ended up leaving and starting my own private practice. And that's where I really started focusing solely on urogynecology. And of course, Roslyn was the first nurse practitioner that I ever hired in late 2015. Um, so that was a big step for me to go from being solo practitioner to having someone work with me. But we've ended up practicing so similarly and having such similar uh, goals for our patients that it's been great and we haven't looked back since. And I'm also glad like, um, to be a part of the practice, how it has grown organically based on the demands of our patients as they age with us. Um, more, more of our patients are now going through menopause, and that's how the anti-aging side of our practice grew. Right. I love that 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 our practice really has taken the direction that our patients have demanded. And I've really found that once you have earned a patient's trust taking care of her pelvic floor and her vaginal issues then she really learns to trust you with anything else. So if I can help improve your incontinence, then they start saying, well, you know, can I talk to you a little more about sex and and my vagina feels a little loose or I'm having trouble having orgasms. And once we help them with that, they say, well, how else can you help me? And they just, you've really built this wonderful relationship of trust. And that's how our practice has grown. You know, it started with the subspecialty, but then it just blossomed by our patients asking us to provide more service from them. And in the last several years, probably for you and I, one of the biggest changes was bringing male patients back into the hormone, weight loss, and anti-aging side of our practice. Because after many years of taking care of women only, it's unique to go back to caring for men. How have you done with that? Yes, that's the funny part about this whole situation was because a lot of people ask me, like, why did you choose women's health? And I would always jokingly say, well, I was tired of taking care of men um, because it's in the hospital. How busy your day is, is really dependent on the ratio of women and men that you see or um, patients that you have. So I really did decide to do women's health exclusively. And now that we have male patients, um, it's it was it was a transition. But I what I would say, though, is that it's very different in our practice because they do seek the care here. Um, and then with women, a lot of the times I'm, I'm very comfortable talking to women about their sexual health and like, you know, um, vaginal dryness, pain with intercourse, like is it deep penetration? Like I can see those things. And I think when we first started with men, I had I had such trouble seeing the word erection. <laughs> so grown man. 
<laughs> just not something you're used to definitely yes. mm-hmm. so I, you're right so I had to find ways to like okay this is something that is just normal and and then afterwards after the first two I was that I was fine but it, it's just a matter of like having not seeing men for almost a decade right um and, and I love um, that our male patients really started as partners of our female patients. So mm-hmm. we would make our female patient feel amazing by fixing her vagina and then correcting her hormones. And all of a sudden her libido is higher than her husband. So she says, can you take care of my husband as well? So we started bringing in partners of our patients. And now you're right. I think a lot of our male patient population, they are looking for this care. They're saying, I'm not feeling my best at age 55 or 60 or 65, how can you help? Or I'm not looking my best. How can you help? And my wife says, you're amazing. You're, my wife says she trusts you. And that mm-hmm. trust then just transfers over to um, to him. Yes. And um, I think, I and I would say this now, like um, I give kudos to all our first male patients, like population, just because originally when we started, it was very urogynecology based and you could see in the waiting room is a female clinic. Um, now we have tried not to, we've made it more so for both population, but they came and they saw us and it was, it was a great time. Um, but yes, like I, um, I agree. And I actually, um, have seen more and more patients, male patients that are coming in on their own without their spouses coming to us. I actually saw my first patient who referred his wife to us and it was the opposite. He came first before the wife. So that's so great. That's, that's not our usual, but yes, we are seeing Mm -hmm. that. And, and even though we are so grateful to all of our patients and all of the wonderful, uh, comments and compliments that they make for us, the ones that are most special to me are the comments that say, you really listened. You took the time. I've been complaining about this for years. No one has thought that it was important enough to address. Um, So those comments, I think for me, mean the most. And the second set of comments are the ones that say, I just feel fully educated. Like I fully understand what's going on with my care. I don't have any questions. It was all explained to me because those are things I think that tend to get rushed by in, in modern medicine. And we really do love taking the time to talk to and educate our patients and really making sure they understand their care. And I think that's why it's so important for us to create this podcast as well. I think that's where this basis came from, um, is to have more time to educate our patients because a lot of the times I'm sitting there, I'm like, I can go over so many things and, and you kind of, you know, you, you want to, um, not rush them, but like, you know, you specifically, if, um, address their situation, but they don't know, oh, like it actually can help with this. Like I had a patient so she mainly came in specifically for her hot flashes and that's and being able to fall asleep easily um, so that she can be a more productive wife and mom. And um, I asked her about her libido and she was like, oh, yeah, that's it's fine. It's you know, it's there. Not really like, but it's not a big deal. And when she came back in and said, oh, my gosh, I'm so glad you mentioned that and talked to me about that. And now I finally have libido like it was such uh, and st- no one has asked me that question. Like, this is something important to you as a woman. And she was very grateful about that. And, like, you know, and having to educate her that the, what she's seeking for treatment is not just going to help her sleep better and be more productive. It's also going to help her overall quality of life. And she was really happy about that. Right. And that's, I think that's why we both love this as a forum of education for our patients, because there's so much information we have about hormone replacement and weight loss and anti-aging strategies. And we just don't have time in in one visit or several visits with a patient to 
share all of our knowledge with them. So we are grateful for any of our current patients who may listen in to learn a little bit more and certainly tell your friends so that they can also learn as well, because we really want to share uh, the huge wealth of knowledge that we have between us. So stay tuned for tons of exciting podcasts about sexual health, uh, how to age amazingly, how to balance hormones, uh, and how to look great while you're doing it. We'll talk with you soon.